So my kids had school canceled today. I live in Atlanta. And I think that they had like a flurry of snow. So everything shut down. So they're home from school. A week ago, they got out of school one day last week, not because it snowed, but because the weatherman said it might snow. So boom, like school's canceled, no one's going. So I have to tell you that you guys are my heroes for being here tonight because you had to walk through ice to get here. You had to brave. It is, cold. It is wicked cold out there. So I don't know, you're probably getting like jewels in your crown for heaven or something, but I love you all for being here. I didn't have a choice, you did, but I'm so glad to be here. Have any of you ever sent a text message and then right when you hit send, you're like, uh-oh. Like maybe you sent it to the wrong person. Or has Siri ever auto-corrected something for you and you hit send and you're like, oh, like it's something that would make your grandmother blush if she read it because Siri, Siri's the worst at auto-correcting. I want to look at a few of these tonight because they're fun and because I have basically the sense of humor of a 12-year-old boy. Also, uh, I will be honest with you and tell you that finding some of these that were um, IW Chapel approved was a little tricky, but it was a fun process nevertheless. So here's one. This is one of those ones where it's like you, ha you have to, you, you, you know that, those moments where you press send too soon, right? So come home, Emily's dying. What, Emily's dying? Call me, I'm on my way. Eggs, eggs. Emily's dying eggs for Easter. <laughs> and then you've got that person who, oh man. You got the person, this is mom. This is the text from mom. It says, your great aunt just passed away, LOL. <laughs> Why is that funny? It's not funny, David, what do you mean? Mom, LOL means laughing out loud. Oh my goodness, I sent that to everyone. I thought it means lots of love. I have to call everyone back. <laughs> you know those people on your contact list who like, they want to text. I mean, they, they want to be a part of that texting world, but they just don't quite get it. That's this person right here. It says, what does I-D-K-L-Y-N-T-T-Y-L mean? I don't know, love you, talk to you later. Okay, I'll ask your sister. <laughs> Some of you is gonna take you a minute to get that one. We'll wait for you. But you know that person, it's on your contact list, like they're trying so hard to communicate. Can you imagine communicating this day and age without texting. Like, I honestly think I wouldn't have any friends. That's how sad my life is. I depend on texting so much, and you guys do too, but there are those people who are just kind of sit on the fringes looking in. They're kind of on the edges. And quite frankly, I mean, I'm just going to say they're missing out on, on, on a whole piece of life this day and age. And we're looking at a miracle today in Luke chapter 13. You can go ahead and go there if you want to. But there's a woman in this passage who is on the fringes. She's on the edges looking in and she's missing out on so much of life. And God does, Jesus does a miracle in her life. And yes, he does the miracle of healing her, but he also does this miracle of just showing his extravagant, outrageous love. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Let's go there. Luke chapter 13. I'm going to read the first two verses of 10 and 11. It says, On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. 
And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Let's stop there for a second. So this woman had spent 18 years bent over. This is just a public service announcement. If you're ever preparing a sermon on this passage, word of the wise, do not do a Google image search on bent over women. Just don't. (laughs) Don't do it. Just trying to help you out. In fact, actually, probably come back to me, come back to me. Probably a better translation of those words there that Luke says is is bent double. He calls her this bent double woman. And we don't know exactly why she's bent over like that. Like we have some pictures of maybe, maybe that's what she probably had something called ankylosing spondylitis, and it is literally this fusing of the spine. So we have these spines that can move and, 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 you know, we can adjust. And the fusing of the spine causes the, the disease as it progresses. It's incredibly painful. It starts in the lower back. And as it develops, it can become this life-altering deformity. There's another picture there. You can go to the next one. So we don't know what she might have looked like, but it probably was something like this. And we know it was something she'd suffered from from for 18 years. It was probably painful. And the thing that I find interesting here is that Luke is a doctor. He's a physician, right? And so whereas some biblical authors will just take sickness and illness and connect it with a spiritual thing, Luke doesn't always do that, but he does it here. He says that she's bent over by a spirit. And so there's just this sense here that there's more going on than just a bent over body, that her spirit is hunched over too. So just imagine with me 18 years of looking at the ground 18 years of having to recognize people by their feet, of having to recognize the road by the gutter on the side, of having to recognize a house by its doorstep. Imagine not being able to, without great difficulty, making eye contact with someone. I mean, it's just kind of that basic form of human connection, right, of respect. And she would have missed out on all of that. 18 years on the fringe, barely surviving, missing out on so much of life, and yet it sounds oddly familiar, doesn't it? Luther's definition of sin is the self curved in on the self. Her collapsed posture is the physical representation of our own condition. And for some of you, it is this sin that you desperately want to get rid of. For some of, it, for some of us, it's these accusing voices, both coming from the outside and the inside, that are telling us that we're not thin enough, or we're not smart enough, or we're not successful enough, or we're not sister enough, or we're not athletic enough, we're just not good enough. And so either way, we're left with this deformed identity. And here's the thing, apart from God's forgiveness and God's extravagant love, we're bound to just bent, be bent fully inward. We're bound to be bent in with ourselves on the center because 
When we're bent in this way, our view of God and our view of the world can never see past our own miserable feet. So there is this bent overness that is keeping us on the fringes, keeping us on the fringes of God's abundant love. So here we find her. I want you to imagine this as we keep reading through the passage. She's, she's probably got two cane, like one cane in each hand, and she's trying to slip in to the synagogue late. Jesus is already in the middle of his sermon at the front of the synagogue. The men would have been sitting in the front, and the women would have been sitting in the back. And I just imagine her trying to get in there without anyone noticing. And there are four things that Jesus does in this next in this next section of the passage. I want you to listen for what are the four things that Jesus does as I read. In verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Okay, did you catch it? What, what was the first thing that Jesus did? He saw her. He saw her. I imagine she's coming in. She's slipping in late. She's not, she didn't go in there and ask for anything. My guess is because of her bent over condition, she probably didn't even see Jesus at the front of the room. Because guess what? Jesus sees us before we see him. He sees us first. So he sees her. And then what's the second thing that Jesus does? He does what? He calls out to her and he calls her forward because he has a purpose for her life. And what's the third thing he does? He talks to her. He speaks truth into her. He speaks healing into her bones. He doesn't yell at her from across the room. He calls her over and gets her up close so he can just whisper these words of truth to her. And then the last thing that he does, y'all know what it is. What did he do? He touches her. He lays his hands on her and he heals her. And she stands up straight for the first time in 18 years, probably the first time she's pain-free in that whole time. So many of us are bent over the self, curved in on the self. Whether it's sin or addiction or apathy or unforgiveness, whether we're just haunted by the past or there's anxiety there or insecurity or bitterness or selfishness, we have this bent over condition. And I think sometimes we're bent over and we're not even looking to be healed. We go, you know, this is just the way I am. This is just my condition. This is how, maybe that person could be healed, but this is just the way it is for me. We're defeated. And then I think some of us are hunched over and we're not looking to be healed because we're too busy surviving. We're exhausted from surviving, actually. Can you imagine the amount of energy it would have taken for this woman to get out of bed in the morning, to get dressed, to get herself all the way from her home to the synagogue? I mean, no no wonder she was walking in late, right? Because she was exhausted, just trying to survive. She wasn't looking to be healed because she was too busy surviving. And some of us were spending all of our energy 
trying to make it in this hunched over state from point A to point B, and quite frankly, it's exhausting. So whether you are defeated or you feel exhausted, there's a chance that we don't even know Jesus is in the room. I mean, you know Jesus is in the room, right? But do you know that Jesus is in the house tonight? That he's here tonight and he sees you and he's calling to you and he wants to lay his hands on you and touch you and heal you. You came here maybe for information, but God is about transformation. It is about God's extravagant, outrageous love every time. You know, Timothy Paul Jones, he, he gives us this picture of Jesus' extravagant love, this love that sees us and calls out to us and, and heals us. He talks about taking his daughter to Disney. He and his wife adopted this girl when she was already eight years old, and she had been a part of a foster family before that. And... Um, that family, the foster family, had gone to Disney several times, and each time they had left her behind. And so she'd heard the, she'd heard the stories about Disney. She'd seen the pictures. She always wanted to go. And, and every time the family would go, she would try to be on her best behavior so that maybe she could go this time, and yet she never got to go. And so when he learned this, he's like, well, we're going to Disney. So he plans this trip for the full, whole family. They're going to go to Disney, and he shares how... The month leading up to the trip, his daughter's behavior just starts spiraling out of control. All of a sudden, she's lying. She's saying cruel things to her siblings. She's stealing. She's just being disobedient. And a couple days before they're supposed to leave for the trip, she does something again, and he kind of pulls her into his lap, and he's reprimanding her for whatever she did. And she looks right at him, and she goes, Daddy... I know what you're going to do. You're not going to take me to Disney, are you? And all of a sudden it hits him. <laughs> and he realizes that she has tried and failed to earn her way to Disney. And so she is at the place now where she's living in a way that is placed so far outside of the place where her heart most deeply longs to be. How many of us are living in a way that has placed us as far as possible from the place that our heart most deeply longs to be, showered with God's love. So he said that in that moment he was tempted to give the easiest response, which was, well, you know, if you don't shape up, we may not be able to take you to Disney. But he was like, thankfully the Holy Spirit like, stopped him in that moment. And instead, he asked her a question. He said, is this trip something that we're doing as a family? Her brown eyes get big, and she nods. Are you a part of our family? Her eyes brim with tears, and she nods. Then you're going with us. There are still consequences for bad choices, but you are a part of our family, and we're not leaving you behind. This is God's outrageous love for you that sees you 
before you see him that calls you, that has a purpose for your life, that sees your broken, bent overness, but isn't repulsed and disgusted by it. Instead, he longs to touch you and heal you in those broken places. But we can't just look at what Jesus did. Yes, Jesus initiated the healing. Jesus did all the work of the healing. But she wasn't just this passive participant in her own healing, was she? She had to participate. It's kind of subtle in there, but what did she have to do to participate in her own healing? She had to walk across the room. She had to move closer to Jesus. I remember my freshman year right here at IWU, I had a 750 class earth science. It was a gen ed. It was in this lecture hall that has since been torn down. It doesn't even exist anymore. And I was late to that class almost every single day. And about a third of the way through the semester, I was slipping in late, hoping I would go unnoticed. And all of a sudden, the professor just calls me out from the front of the room, Andrea. And in that moment, I was like, Oh my, it was like that split second moment where you're like, I think I can still make it back out the door. Like, I was ready to run. And I just met this woman. Jesus calls her out. And he didn't say to her, hey, come over here so I can heal you. He just calls her forward. And she didn't know, is this guy going to call me up front? Is he going to make an example of me? Is he going to make fun of me? What is he going to do? But there was something that compelled her to move closer to Jesus, probably tremblingly so. It's faith. It's faith. And so she does, and Jesus lays his hands on her, and she stands up straight for the first time in 18 years. But this is only half the story. This is only half the story because there are two responses to being seen by Jesus. There's the response of the woman who steps out in faith, but there's also the response of the synagogue ruler, who when he was seen by Jesus, he defers to the rules. Let's keep reading. In verse 14, indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, The synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. So here's this woman. She found herself in this situation where Jesus was calling her deeper, where she was on the brink of something that was uncomfortable, it was risky, it was scary, it was totally out of her comfort zone, and she steps out in faith. And here is this synagogue ruler where, you know, he's in this situation where Jesus is calling him deeper, where he's on the brink of something risky and scary and totally out of his comfort zone, and he defers to the rules. He goes, this is the wrong day for healing. But here's the thing, we do this. We don't so much deny that Jesus has the power to heal, but we just say, Jesus, can you please heal this way? Can you do it on this day over here? Because that's kind of how I had it planned out. We like him to do the things that feel comfortable and less risky, minimal minimal cost. That's not how Jesus works. Jesus is like, come forward. Move closer to me. Because I'm the one who initiates the healing. 
I'm the one who does the work of the healing. Let's keep reading. In verse 15, but listen up. So Jesus has names here. He has a name for the synagogue ruler and his posse of friends. And he has a name for the woman. So I want you to listen and catch those as we go. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So did you catch it? What does Jesus call the synagogue ruler? Hypocrite. Yeah. And Jesus is indignant at this point. And in this clever way that left everybody speechless, Jesus drives his point home with a comparison. He says, look, you've got a donkey or an ox that's tied up on the Sabbath. Don't you release that donkey to let, go let it get some water? He's referring to the Jewish rabbinical laws because they had all kinds of laws of all the things that you could not do with livestock on the Sabbath. But they had this provision that you were allowed to untie your ox or your donkey and take it to go get some water on the Sabbath. Now, why would they have made this provision? Because water is basic, right? Like, you need water to survive, you need water for life. And so Jesus says, this woman who's been tied up, who's been bound and shackled by this infirmity for 18 years, how much more so should she be released and be healed. So where the ruler is going to look, she's been like this for 18 years. What's one more day? Jesus is going, look, she's been like this for 18 years. We can't go another second. Do you see the urgency here? Jesus compares her need for healing to the basic need for water because he's going, man, healing is not a luxury. It is survival. I think sometimes we look at our own bent overness and we just go, eh, that's another day. It's not that big of a deal. And Jesus is going, no, not another second. Today, tonight, let's take care of it. Okay, so Jesus calls him a hypocrite. What does he call the woman? Say it loud. Daughter of Abraham. Daughter of Abraham. I think it's really easy for us to just like read right past that because we don't totally get the significance of those words. Because we don't totally understand the context. Context is important. Context is everything, actually. A couple of years ago, I was at my daughter's uh, track practice or track meet. And it was one of those weird days in the spring where like it starts out Everything is beautiful. We're wearing shorts and T-shirts. And then about halfway through the track meet, because track meets are ridiculously long, by the way, about halfway through, all of a sudden, the weather changed, and it got cold, and it got windy, and it started raining. And so I sent my mom back to her car to go get a blanket. And meanwhile, while she was gone, it really started raining. And so I gathered all the children, and we went and we hid under the bleachers, basically, just to kind of protect ourselves from this crazy weather. And when I was under there, I texted my mom. I said, come find me under the bleachers and bring your blanket. Well, she did eventually find us. I'm not sure how she found us, quite frankly, because she never got that text. 
Instead, maybe we have a picture of it, I sent the text to the plumber who had been at our house earlier that day. Context is everything, right? Come find me under the bleachers and bring your blanket. Yeah, we found a new plumber after that. But just like those people, you know, we hear daughter of Abraham and we're like, okay, yeah, yeah. But the people in the synagogue that day would have heard those words, daughter of Abraham. She would have heard those words, daughter of Abraham, and it would have been like, whoa. Because this is the first time in scripture that we've heard the words daughter of Abraham. Up until now, it's been sons of Abraham, sons of Abraham, sons of Abraham. Now, daughter of Abraham, used for this anonymous, bent double woman. Jesus is extending to her the covenant blessing of Genesis 12. I will bless you, and through all generations, the world will be blessed. He's referring to that covenant that was given to Abraham and then passed down to Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon all the way down to Jesus. It is this defining narrative of Scripture that says God blesses you so that you can bless the whole world. And so Jesus is saying to this woman, guess what? You have access to every blessing, every provision, every healing, every identity that Abraham had. You are a daughter of Abraham. And not only that, you are to take that blessing and you are to be a blessing to the world for generations to come. Whoa. You're no longer the bent double woman. You are a daughter of Abraham. That's what he's saying to her. What has you bent over? As Luther put it, the self curved in on the self. What has you keeping your distance from God? Maybe those people around you, like, they don't even see it because you are so good at compensating. Whether it's sin, whether it's lies that you've believed, they've left you with this deformed identity. But guess what? God sees you. He is calling you. He longs to touch you and heal you. He wants to give you a new name. Son of Abraham, daughter of Abraham, co-heir with Christ. You know, Timothy Paul Jones, who told, you know, was sharing his story about his adopted daughter and taking her to Disney. It's interesting because after that conversation with his daughter, her behavior didn't get better. In fact, it actually got worse. And didn't get any better until the end of their first full day in Disney. And as he was tucking her into bed that night, he asked her the question, so how was your first day at Disney World? He says that she closed her eyes, and then after a few moments, she said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good. It was because I'm yours. Listen carefully. This is the message of God's extravagant love. 
he sees you first. It's this outrageous love that isn't a favor that you somehow achieve by being good. It's a gift you receive by being God's. It's this love that is looking for you when you're minding your own business, sneaking into the back of the synagogue in survival mode. It is this love that comes after you when you've basically got the middle finger up to God and the rest of the world. It is this insane love of a shepherd that leaves the 99 behind and goes after that one stupid sheep that can't keep up with the rest of the flock. It is this outrageous love of a father who takes off his robe and his rings and puts them on this kid who squandered everything for a good time. This is God's outrageous love that sees you, that calls you, that longs to heal you. But it's not a passive thing, right? That woman had the faith to walk across the room so that God could touch her, Jesus could touch her and heal her and call her daughter of Abraham. When she stood up straight for the first time, what do you think is the very first thing that she locked eyes with? What do you think? Jesus' eyes, just looking into eyes of extravagant love. She had to be up close and personal to get that gift, right? So there's no more waiting until tomorrow or deferring to the rules because Jesus is here tonight and he sees you and he's calling out to you. So here's what we're going to do. Psalm 111.4 says, His generosity never gives out. His miracles are his memorial. This God of grace, this God of love. And we have these memorials on either side. There's these stacks of boxes with markers. And, And as you are praying and as the Holy Spirit leads, I want you to get up and I want you to walk across the room. I want you to do this physical thing of moving closer to Jesus. And write down on the box, whatever that thing is, whatever it is that has you hunched over. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's emotional. I don't know, but God knows, you know. And just say, God, I know that you want to heal this inside of me. And for some of you, he will do it tonight. And for some of you, it will initiate a process of healing that you'll look back and you'll go, man. this God of extravagant love. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you love us so much. You love us so much. Help us to grab a hold of that love you don't love us because we're good. You love us because we're yours. Help us to step out in faith knowing today is the day that you have healing. You have a new name for us. You want us to stand up straight. You want us to look you in the eye and to see that outrageous, extravagant love in a whole new 